All right, today on the Buttoned Up Podcast, we have George Laboda from the Gents Lounge and various other uh, things that he does, and we're excited to learn about his story today. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. So uh, I had a chance to say hi. I'm influential. I know you and Brock uh, had known each other through that platform, and I know you're an eerie guy, so I wanted to start uh, start off with your early days. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town called Erie, Pennsylvania. It's like close to everything that's kind of cool, but not really that close. So it's like an hour and a half from Buffalo, an hour and a half from Pittsburgh, and an hour and a half from Cleveland, which, you know, Pittsburgh's probably the coolest one out of that out of that section. But yeah, so there wasn't much, I guess, fashion going on in my small town like my time was pumped when we got an Abercrombie and Fitch or an Old Navy for the first time. So that was like a big event for the town. So growing up, I didn't really have, I guess, a sense of, I guess, the New York, L.A. type fashion. But I kind of found my niche and figured out how to dress well with what I was working with in a small town, you know. Well, so that's really interesting. So were you also growing up wearing uh, like skater tees and that sort of thing? Was that your that's how you rocked it? Yeah, so I was actually like kind of a, an emo kid growing up. Like I used to wear girl pants because they did not make slim fit jeans for dudes back in 2002 and 2003. So like girl jeans were like the way you could find skinny jeans. And then I was kind of, you know, like a punk rock hardcore kid, honestly, up until I still am at heart, but I just don't dress that way anymore. That's crazy. We, we've, we've actually heard that from, from a lot of people we've interviewed that they like, they were like in a totally different like genre, you know, in high school or even in college, like, you know, they were into skating or they were into punk or, um, or just kind of like a totally something you wouldn't associate them with now, you know, cause now you look at your kind of online persona and it's like very, you know, classy and, and higher end and, uh, and sort of refined. So that's, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. I mean, honestly, but like style is kind of transcendent of genres. So you know, if you care about how you look, you want to fit into the, you know, the hardcore genre. You wear, you know, tight black jeans and the right shoes. And, you know, there's kind of a uniform that goes with it. And then you kind of expand from there like any other style. Like if you want to dress well in the menswear space, you start out by getting a few suits and some ties. And then you can experiment with tailoring and your patterns and figure out a way to stand out in that uniform per se. And did your did your transition from... I guess into a different aesthetic or a different realm. Does that correlate with like a physical transition, like, you know, leaving your hometown or was that later on? Well, I would say I kind of had a lot of different friend groups. So I had like, I used to ride BMX bikes as well. So I had like my BMX bike friends then I had like my music kind of punk rock, hardcore friends. And then I also played hockey. So when I was playing hockey, we always had to dress up and wear suits and shirts and ties to every game. So that's kind of where I got the menswear aspect. And I did care about style throughout. So I wanted to look good. Even if I wasn't in ripped jeans and a band tee, I still wanted to look good in the shirt and tie. So I started to care kind of early high school and then just kind of, you know, what I had to work with. I guess Express was kind of the high end menswear store of my town. So, you know, that's what I thought was cool when I tried to copy what they were doing on the mannequins. And then you kind of realize that, you know, retail stores kind of, don't necessarily have the best grasp on a menswear aesthetic, depending on what you're looking for. Well, they've got the aesthetic of uh, most of those companies were based out of Columbus, Ohio. So they've got the Midwest uh, 
aesthetic, but they're missing those two sides of the coast. Exactly. I mean, they have. You can tell because I mean, if even if you go inward, probably four or five hours from LA or New York, you start to see. You know, it looks a lot the same in the middle of America. The South has its own kind of style, but anywhere north of the South, in between LA and or LA and New York, is very, very similar with like little pockets of different flair. I would say. So you had uh, your emo life, BMX, hockey, and that got you into suits. What? Uh, how do you get out to LA from Erie? So. From Erie, I decided that, well, actually, I wanted to be a potter. Like, I wanted to do pottery as my college major. And my mom was like, hell no, you're never going to make any money doing that. So she's like, you got to do something else. So I decided I was into, like, making BMX videos and doing that kind of thing. So I was like, I'll go to film school. I'll see where that goes. And my whole plan was to either, you know, make movies or work in TV or do something out in California. And honestly, California just seemed really nice because there was no snow anymore. So I searched kind of, I guess, colleges that had what I was looking for. And Long Beach State came up as one of the options. So came out to visit, checked it out. Turns out they have a pretty good film program. And then I kind of made the commitment to move across the country right after high school. Well, I think like you might have experienced this too, is when I watched Disney Channel movies growing up, all of the kids went to these high schools that were outdoors and then you found out they were in California and it's like that kind of planted the seed or like rocket power. No, exactly. Actually, I didn't even ever put two and two together that people didn't go to school indoors and like they were allowed to be outside in the quad for lunch. Like I just thought, you know, maybe that's some weird like avant-garde school that teachers aren't as strict because they like literally locked us in our school until 3 p.m. and then you got out. If you left, you got suspended. Oh, I know. That was definitely, especially the end, the last few years of my high school was that way. Different worlds. <laughs> it's it's crazy. And like all the lockers are outside. You, The classrooms are pretty much like storage units that they've built into classrooms. And hmm. So you were, you were basically sold on California when you got there. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as I went to visit before I actually decided to go there. So I was there for a week and, you know, I went to the beach. The weather was awesome. Um, toured the campus and met a few people that were actually pretty cool right off the bat who kind of actually ended up being my roommates and good friends through college. So it just, I mean, it just kind of worked out like it was meant to be, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And then and you studied film? Yeah, I went to, I went to film school. So I was doing uh, film production and I wanted to focus on the editing aspect because that's what I really had a passion for. Nice. Well, that, that kind of plays into... Uh you know, what, what you're doing now, it's, it seems like a lot of people, you know, study something in college, it's completely different than, you know, what they're doing. Um, but, but that's actually, that's pretty closely related. I mean, what, what, what'd you do immediately after graduating? So while I was at uh, Long Beach State, I interned for Discovery Channel. And then as soon as I graduated, they hired me on as a assistant editor for a show called Tech Toys 360. And it's kind of like how it's made, except we got to do like Ferraris and Lamborghinis instead of like tinfoil and CDs. So it was an amazing experience to be a nine, or I guess how old was I when I graduated college? 22 year old kid, just at the Ferrari and Lamborghini factory, hanging out with the people making these things that what you thought you could never afford as a small town kid from Erie, you know? That's awesome. Man, actually, you know, Discovery Channel had a, I, I grew up in Silver Spring, just outside of DC, and they used to have a, uh, a headquarters there. And 
I'm right. I lived right next to it. And it was so many people in that area worked for discovery. And, uh, so, you know, you'd meet somebody and be like, Oh yeah, I'm working on, you know, the animal planet puppy bowl. <laughs> like that sounds like an amazing place to work. <laughs> so yeah, that's actually still where the headquarters are. And we actually worked out of the satellite, a satellite office in LA for a while. And then actually they decided to pick up and move the production to New York, which is kind of how, how the Mason and Jens Lounge got started. Well, that's, that's a good segue. So tell, tell us about that. <laughs> um, so basically, I started out as a Mason while I was working for Discovery Channel, and it was supposed to be just kind of like a creative side project clothing company that I had total control over because I actually became the head editor of the show after the second season for the Discovery Channel, and I had so many producers just telling me how things should look and how things should be edited that I felt like I wasn't actually editing. I was just being the hands for someone else that wanted to put their vision on the screen. So I had needed something that had, I guess, my own stamp of approval on it. So I started out as a Mason and basically we just did like small leather goods, belts, wallets, a few t-shirts, I think a lapel pin and some pocket squares here and there. Just, I didn't have a huge budget to start. So I started with some one size fits all stuff. And then actually Gents Lounge was supposed to be the blog for the clothing company. So I, Gents Lounge was always the idea to be the blog for Alice and Mason. Like when you came to the site, Gents Lounge would be the sec- separate section that had its own kind of advice and uh, you know tips and tricks and exactly what it is now. It's just on a bigger scale than I could have ever imagined back then. How early into Alice and Mason do you meet Blake? So I was running Atlas and Mason for about two years at the time. So that, I guess I'd met Blake probably five years ago. So I actually threw probably the first ever blogger brunch. And I put together an event for a few bloggers and a few of my friends that actually paid admission to get in. So I put together like a four-course meal, uh, rented out a house and, you know, had drinks. Everything was obviously included in the price, but my friends paid like 45 bucks to come out and support the new collection that we put out. And I invited a few LA bloggers that Blake had like, I think 7,000 followers on Instagram at the time. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's huge. If he comes out, it's going to be amazing. And so Blake came out, we chatted pretty much the whole barbecue because I sat him next to me strategically because I wanted to meet him and kind of pick his brain a little bit. And honestly, after that, So that barbecue was in August, and then we didn't talk again until a Christmas party that we happened to be at through a mutual friend, and I pitched him the idea of Gents Lounge. Like I was like, look, I can create all these videos. I can create the content. Just bring your – and then at the – so I was like, look, I can create these videos. I can create the content. And I was like, look, you bring your now 25,000 followers at the time over to this platform so somebody actually watches the thing. And we'll do this together and we'll split it 50-50. And then that's kind of how Gents Lounge got going. That's really cool. Man, I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that, you know, it started as kind of like a content marketing play to, like, sell your own products. But then it became the product or, like, it became, the you know, more of, like, a bigger part of the business, which I feel like that's, that's something that happens these days is that the, the content actually becomes so popular that it's – you know, it's, it's more of like a lucrative business than, you know, the, the products. You no, know, exactly. And I mean, honestly, you learn really quickly to pivot with what's working when you have no money and you're trying to figure out how to make your way in the world. So definitely 
it was kind of a Jess Lounge was working. We started to be getting more and more money. So I put Atlas and Mason on hold, which I'm still mildly sad about. And I definitely thinking about bringing it back in the future because now Jess Lounge is doing good. And I just want another little creative outlet personally. But yeah, you kind of learn to to pivot with, you know, what's what's working and the content happened to be working. Obviously, sometimes it works the opposite way. Like the Gentleman's Gazette, he pushes more product, his or sorry, he pushes his website a ton because that's where all the revenue is. And he was saying that the revenue from the website actually took over the revenue from the YouTube channel, which it used to be reversed. So, I mean, sometimes it works in different ways. Yeah, so true. I think a lot of people assume that, you know, if they see big numbers on Instagram or big numbers on YouTube, they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's where this person, that's, that's where the, the real business is coming from. But a lot of the times you, you don't really know. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a YouTube channel on a website and for me, the website's still a more important part of the business just in terms of revenue. Um, even though the YouTube channel probably looks a little more impressive, you know, to the untrained eye, I guess. Right. I mean, obviously no one can see your, your analytics or what you're doing on the back end, but people think that our YouTube is less important than our Instagram because we have 500,000 followers on Instagram and we only have um, like 96,000 on YouTube, but YouTube is the biggest part of our business. It was always the focus and Instagram just happened to kind of blow up in the first few years for us, but we still focus on YouTube a little bit more honestly than we focus on Instagram. When did you like jump in full time? So we started Jens Lounge in 2014. And then I would say I was working as a valet actually, because my discovery channel job moved to New York. So I was valeting cars doing Jens Lounge and trying to keep Atlas and Mason afloat. And then I'd say a year after we started Jens Lounge, so probably 2015, I went full time and was able to make enough money to at least pay my rent. And I actually found a way to keep my bills super low because, you know, I had a few roommates and I wasn't overly spending on, like, I didn't have a car payment or anything crazy like that. So I was able to, I was able to live very frugally. Yeah, that helps when you're uh, first getting started. <laughs> Because, you know, California is, I mean, it's expensive, it's very expensive, you know, and, and like compared to other states. Yeah, it's its unbelievable. And I mean, I always tell people that once you start making money as a business or whatever, and you think you're doing well, just keep your mindset as if you're still poor as hell. Because the moment you think, you know, oh, I'm doing well, I can spend extra money on this and extra money on that. Those little extra, you know, couple hundred buck payments everywhere really add up very, very quickly. So, you know, if you can keep your rent as low as you can for as long as you can, I highly recommend it. Even if you can afford, you know, 2,500 bucks a month in rent, but you can pay 700, pay 700 because you're going to have all that extra leeway and room to kind of move and put money into things into the business. Well, by now you probably have to have a second room rented for your wardrobe. Um, yeah, so we actually had, we actually bought office space, um, two years ago, we had like 1500 square feet in downtown LA and we were talking about and spending all this money trying to make it look like an apartment that we were like, well, why don't we just get an apartment? So we recently just moved offices and now we have a, a two bedroom loft in downtown LA 
And the second bedroom is actually just our whole office space that we had in the 1500 square feet. And then the living room was all the furniture we had in the original office. So it just kind of took over. And now I can wake up, work from home, edit here. Blake lives two blocks away. It's a much better situation right now. That's the LA YouTube dream right there. Right? Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I, when I started my channel, I, I made like a list of YouTube channels that I was looking at and and Brock's was on there and yours was on there. And at the time, I think you guys had like 15,000 subscribers or something. So it's really cool to see how you've grown in that time. Yeah, I mean, we've tried to stay very, very authentic throughout the process because, I mean, it's it's so easy to just take the paycheck and kind of sell out these days. But it's just kind of always been about giving good advice and doing minimal sponsored videos just enough to kind of keep the, the YouTube channel going and whatnot and really only working with companies we believe in and actually use on a daily basis. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so true. I mean, once, once you pass, you know, 20,000 subscribers or something, I mean, these, a lot of these brands are I mean, literally throwing money at you, you know, to promote stuff that, uh, that you don't really want to promote. So, I I commend you guys for for doing that. That's that's awesome. I think we need more of that on YouTube. No, yeah, we we definitely do. And I mean, Brock, you're honestly also one of the dudes that's super super authentic. I mean, you are honestly the only person that I've ever seen on Instagram being like, "Here's a picture of this shirt. I can't recommend it to you, but uh, <laughs> if you want a cheaper shirt, it's a good option." I was like, "Holy shit, that that's amazing." Yeah, that's that's a good way to get a brand not to send you anything anymore. <laughs> Your integrity's there, and that's what people want to see. I would imagine, like, we just we obviously just don't put out or wear or promote the product that we don't like. People send us stuff all the time that never make it on the channel, but yeah, like to actually put something out like that and say, "Hey, I can't recommend this to you, but you know, if you're looking for an option that's budget friendly or whatever, it." probably would be a good option for you know like a summer summer trend yeah yeah john and i talk about that a lot it's all about it's all about that integrity you know and i think there's different ways to do it but but yeah i think um i think people pick up on that you know whether whether you're doing it that way or just you know kind of not talking about stuff you don't like i think i think people pick up on that and uh and really appreciate that you know especially kind of in in the current climate right definitely i mean i think I honestly that people need to people leave us comments all the time and they're just like how can you only promote how can you only talk about things you like or how can you only say good things about stuff it's like because I don't promote things that I don't like like if what did you want me to just talk shit on something so I can honestly just come back and I don't like it's not my job to tear down a brand I just won't talk about them if I don't like them you know what I'm saying it's I feel like it's not my position to be like these are terrible products just I just won't talk about them. And if I don't talk, talk about them, buy the ones that I'm talking about. Some people do want that, though. Some people do want to see the uh, the world burn. But I think... Yeah, I know. Some people want the negative. And I'm just like, it's... You know, people are working hard on their business, whether it's a crap product or not. And I don't know. I honestly don't think it's my position to take that away from them. Oh, yeah. Totally. But I also think that the, the money that you eschew in saying things like, this isn't something I recommend, you build more value than that with the audience by having of, having that sort of direct dialogue because they appreciate it so much. Of course. And I mean, I, I actually recently just did uh, like a hair product video where I reviewed 
all the hair products that people sent me. And I told, I told the people, I was like, look, honestly, I can make my hair look good with any of these products because it, if you just use a nut hair product and you have a blow dryer, you can pretty much get any effect you want. But it's about how much hair product you have to use to get that effect and the value of the cost and the ingredients inside. So you got to think about a whole bunch of other stuff other than just, you know, the cost and the brand you're looking into. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So what do you do? I'm just curious, just personally, what do you do with all the stuff that you're saying? Because I'm always struggling with like, like, I mean, you know, take a lot of stuff to Goodwill, but like then like with grooming products have drawers full of stuff. I mean, what, what do you guys do with all that stuff? Yeah, I, I'm with you on the drawers full of grooming products. I keep a lot of the stuff that I like. And then um, I have a lot of friends who aren't in the industry, which is also helpful because they can kind of come over and just have a little shopping day at my house. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's it's tough because it, it really fills up quickly when you're getting, you know, two to three packages a day of stuff. Right. Yeah, hard hard to be a, a minimalist in, in this industry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I literally went through my closet and I have seven denim jackets and I wear one of them. I'm like, <laughs> why am I why am I keeping these? But, you know, you think you in your head when you have the YouTube channel and whatnot, you think, well, you know, if I ever want to do a distressed denim jacket versus a raw denim jacket versus a cheaper denim jacket, I'll have all these ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So how have things uh, changed for you guys recently or is there anything that you know, you're, you're doing, uh, I guess, end of this year second half of this year that you're excited about um recently we've been talking about doing just kind of more i guess giving back to our followers well being creative ourselves so we're talking about working with you know a few different companies to do different collaborations like we were talking about buying a barrel of whiskey from one of our favorite whiskey brands and then kind of having a gents lounge single barrel going on and it would just kind of be you know either gifts for our favorite brands we work with or people that win like YouTube contests or whatnot. And then we were thinking about doing a small run of custom leather goods through a few of our friends who make custom leather products. So just trying to help get their name out there while throwing a little creative input into some stuff. So that's kind of the thing that we're working on, just working with people we like and doing some fun stuff and just kind of building a little bit of more brand recognition, I guess. Very cool. And do you have a, so for someone like just getting into it, who's just still at like the audience building stage, do you have any advice currently, you know, in, in, here in 2018 for someone who's trying to build an audience on Instagram or YouTube? Um, make friends with people that are at the same level with you and do as much joint collaboration as you can. That's honestly the best way to grow because hopefully, you know, somebody with, 5,000 followers and somebody with 3,000 followers, half those people aren't following both of you. So if you guys can get together and you relate to their audience and they relate to your audience, it's just, just kind of works out as a good audience building platform. And I would say, don't take the small paychecks that kind of hurts your integrity and just work on affiliate marketing. There's a ton of stuff where you can just find links like reward style or Amazon or any of that. And you can still make a portion of sales of things you actually like and actually promote that aren't sponsored. Cause 
I think that I just got an Instagram DM the other day from a kid. He's like, this watch company wants to sponsor me. Um, you know, what do you have advice on? How should I talk to them? And I was like, okay, what's the watch company first? And he sent me the link and it was obviously just some drop ship watch company that's selling $5 China watches for a hundred to 150 bucks. And I'm like, look, they're probably not really good quality. If you need watches that look good in photos and they're offering you free watches, um, I would say maybe take a look at them, but don't guarantee them anything. And he's like, oh my God, that's like really good advice. I didn't really notice that. And I was like, as you're, but when you're a, a younger blogger grow, growing in this industry, you don't kind of look at that stuff. Like I remember I got a email from a similar company. I was like, oh my God, these watches look dope. And I didn't really know much about watches, you know, five, six years ago. So I was like, this is, this is dope. I like the way they look. They're automatic, which I've heard was a good thing. And then you kind of come to realize where all these things come from and you know how much they actually cost and the worth and their actual value. That's a great one. I think that's fantastic advice. So George, we do a rapid fire segment where we give you some quick, quick questions, one or two word answers. Uh, and then we like to just go across all of our guests. Are you ready for that? Uh, yeah. Hit me. All right. Oxfords or Brogues? Brogues. Morning shower or evening shower? Uh, after the gym. Okay. Uh, your favorite Bond actor? Daniel Craig. Cardio or lifting? Lifting. Spring, summer, or fall, winter? Fall, winter. Navy suit or charcoal suit? Navy. And if you're getting in the shower, or actually if you're taking that shower after the gym and you're trying to get pumped up for the rest of your day, what's the song you're listening to? Ooh. That's tough. It could be timely or timeless. <laughs> um, pumped up for the day. Maybe a little Tupac. Okay. All right. Nice. And then, so you're talking about watches. What is, what's a wristwatch check? Do you have anything on now? Uh, I just literally got out of the shower. But um, I will say that my Parmigiani is my favorite watch in my collection. Beautiful. Very nice. What are you wearing today, John? Boring. I got the Seamaster on. Same as always. Ah. Why take it off? <laughs> I do have the uh, the Todd Snyder Timex collaboration sitting on my desk right now. Oh, I love I see that. I get that ad constantly on Instagram. It's like they know I'm about to buy it. <laughs> Is it do they send you the like the one with the swirly in the middle or the, the one with the planar face? Because I get both the sponsor the sponsored post as well i get the spiral one yeah that's the one i got on sitting on my desk very nice cool well george thanks for coming on the show um if people want to find you where's uh where's where should they go yes thank you for having me guys this was a lot of fun um at atlas and mason on instagram or at gents lounge on instagram and then youtube is gents lounge or gents lounge.com will get you to me sounds great well we'll look forward to seeing what uh you and blake are up to in the future and we'll have to catch up sometime soon thank you for listening to the buttoned up podcast a collaboration between john shanahan of the cavalier and brock mcgoff of modest man and we'll see you next week